Hey, this is the Topher Spear Podcast. Shouldn't the music be playing by now? Break the chains of your heart. You gotta fly like a bird. Set your mind free. Set your heart. Set yourself free like a bird. Take your blinders off. Look at the horizon. World is never wise enough. Come here to your dreams. Hi, welcome back to the Topher Spear podcast. I'm Topher, and I'm glad you're here. This is the podcast where I invite you into my brain for about 30 minutes and give you a little bit of in-depth look at um, borderline personality disorder. Let's get started. Um, I want to clear up some messages from last week. Um, I did make the comment that um, if you were not prepared um, to look at your behavior as being mean, meditative, or hurtful, that you weren't ready for recovery. And with that being true, I feel that I did not give um, a correct representation of what I was talking about. Um, People with BPD don't set out to be harmful. There's not a volition behind it. Usually this is a reaction to a perceived or real slight. I'm going to say this. Hurt people hurt people. And broken people break people. The point of this podcast is to interrupt that cycle. It's rarely that I have just been mean for the case of being mean. I forgot to tell you that most people with BPD are very empathetic. We talked about the heightened sense of emotions last week. Well, people with BPD just don't have a heightened sense of their own emotions. They have a heightened sense of the emotions of those around them. They're a little bit like an emotional thermostat for those around them. We can detect slight changes in people's moods and emotions even before they realize it's happening. People with BPD tend to be highly intelligent. We're masters of control. Last week, I think I gave off the impression that um, people with BPD have a tendency of being out of control. That's the opposite of the case. When we do have a BPD moment, the amount of the storm that's inside of us, if we released all of it, like I was talking with my counselor this week, if I released all of that storm, I'd probably be in jail. So we control so much of our emotions. I just want to make that clear. Um, 
I'm going to give some recommendations. When you get a BPD diagnosis or you identify with BPD traits, now what? First, remember. Remember BPD. BPD is a relational disorder. It manifests in our closest relationships. Know that you have developed coping skills within those relationships that have gotten your needs met. But there's a high likelihood that those coping skills are what we call maladaptive, meaning they are either damaging to you or damaging to those around you. Okay? So remember that. Um, I suggest that everyone read Marshall Linehan's Building a Life Worth Living. If you've never heard of Marshall Linehan, um, I would Google her now, um, pull up, watch whatever you can of hers. Um, I think last week I talked about dialectical behavior therapy. Um, Marsha Lanahan is the mother of dialectical behavior therapy. Um, she, wa she was instrumental in the development of um, dialectical behavior therapy. And if you read, I suggest that you read her book because um, she kind of pioneered um, treatment for um, borderlines. And guess what? Marshall Linehan, if you read her book, you'll find out that she was institutionalized in the 60s um, because she was suffering from what we now call borderline personality disorder. And um, in the 70s is when she started writing the, um, the therapy. And in the 90s, she actually disclosed that she herself suffered from borderline personality disorder. This really helped me. You know why? Because well, us with borderline do not trust very easily. So when we hear someone that can talk our language or understand what's going on inside of us, it makes things easier. Um, I suggest not starting DBT right away. Know that there are other treatments like schema therapy. I think there's one called icon therapy now. Um, but there are other treatments. Dialectical behavior therapy is not the only treatment for borderline personality disorder. Work on becoming mindful. This is why I say not to do a DBT group right away. Um, I was in counseling for a year before I started a DBT group. Um, and we'll talk about that here in a second. Find a therapist that you can trust. I don't think that many people know this, 
But when you go in for the first meeting with a therapist, it's a little bit like an interview. You are interviewing them to make sure they fit you. Like, I cannot um, see a therapist that's going to lock me up every time I talk about wanting to die. And borderlines talk about wanting to die quite often. Now, my counselor and I have limits, and we have um, an agreement. If she is afraid that I'm going to hurt myself, she will take action to protect me. But she's not going to throw me in the hospital every time I say something about wanting to kill myself. So interview your therapist. And you're going to want a therapist that is familiar with dealing with trauma disorders. Um, BPD is wrapped up in a lot of complex trauma. So um, you'll need someone that is familiar with dealing with that. Another good bellwether on to tell if you have a good therapist is are they teachable? Are you able to take things to them? And if they're wrong, they admit it. Um, next, I would suggest finding some kind of group, maybe not a DBT group, but some kind of a either support group or a therapeutic group. I cannot stress. You're going to need support through this journey. So if you have a group therapy session, that can give you the needed support that you're going to need through this journey. Now let's go back to mindfulness. What is mindfulness? Um, I'm link. I'm going to give you a link to a PDF that has um, a mindfulness um, chart on page four. It shows two circles. Um, it shows two circles, one's emotional mind, one's reasonable mind, and where those intersect is wise mind. Now, um, when I got my, um, BPD diagnosis, I worked out of emotional mind mostly. Emotional mind is mood dependent, emotion focus. When you're in emotional mind, you are ruled by your moods, feelings, and urges to do or say things. Facts, reason, and logic are not important. Let me back up. Facts, reason, and logic are not important. When you're, your reasonable mind is the cooler part of your mind, it's rational, tax, task focused. When you're in reasonable mind, you rule by facts, reason, logic, and pragmatics. Now, where those intersect is wise mind. In wise mind, you listen to the wisdom within yourself. 
see the value of both reason and emotion, bring left and right brain together. The middle path is the middle path. Um, the reason I say not to start a DBT group as soon as you get your diagnosis or as soon as you identify with borderline personality disorder traits is because if you are not in wise line, if you are not in a place where you can use both of those minds together, you are not going to retain and integrate the information given in a DBT class or group. A DBT group is more like a classroom where you're taught to break down things and um, examine your responses, examine your relationships. It's actually pretty detailed. So um, my recommendation is to first make sure you're in wise mind before starting a DBT class. Start defining your core values. How do you know you're working within wise mind? The way you know that you're working within wise mind is that you do not act outside of your core values when you're in wise mind. Let me say that again. You do not act outside of your core values when you are in wise mind. What can be a core value? Core values are the unchangeable parts of us. They are directly linked to motivation and passion and will be a compass to wise mind. If something gets you going, that's most likely a core value. Examples, material things, money, family, love, charity, honesty, work. Those are just some examples. But establishing your core values kind of gives you a reference point to determine when and when you, when you are working within wise mind and when you are not working within wise mind. Because if we're in the emotional mind, we trump our core values. We act outside of our core values. Knowing your core values will give you a foundation for self-esteem. I'm going to say this. If you just got a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, I'm pretty sure that you don't have a good sense of self-esteem. Um, you're going to need that in the future. Core values will begin to give you that foundation. Now, remember when I told you back at the beginning, I said, um, remember that you have, I have identified with um, BPD traits or you have actually received a diagnosis? Um, this, I think, is important. Um, when you receive 
a diagnosis or you identify with traits of BPD, you know now. So doing nothing is negligence. There's going to be a point in time where you're going to have to deal with the guilt and shame of the behavior that you've exhibited in the past. You'll have to integrate that into yourself. And you do not want to add on to it by doing nothing and continuing to hurt. Now we're going to shift back to the topic of this week, which is the same topic we spoke about last week. Object permanence. Um, I think I have, after thinking about last week's episode and speaking with my counselor, I've identified a couple of different areas where I think object permanence becomes an issue with people with borderline. Um, one of the areas I think that it becomes an issue is our ability to keep and set personal goals or financial goals or goals in general. And the reason I think that is, is because we have a hard time remembering the determination that we felt when we set the goal. We have a problem remembering that determination, the feeling, the action. We have a problem remembering the desire of wanting to do something. And usually it's for ourselves. I think that's key. But um, I'm going to give you an example here. Okay. Um. I'm a cell phone guy. I worked in the cell phone industry for 15 years for a major cell phone company. Um, I love phones. I'm an Apple fanboy. If you know what that means, it just means that you're a person that loves Apple products. And I do. But I wanted a flip phone this year. And guess what? Apple doesn't sell a flip phone. So I start watching these ads and start watching the prices on a Samsung Flip 5. I find out that I'm able to get a Samsung Flip 5 at half off. And I order it. All well and good. I get the phone. Um, start playing around with it. It's a cool phone. The Samsung Flip 5, if you're an Android user, I would say go for it. The problem was I couldn't get out of the Apple ecosystem. I couldn't, I have Apple speakers. I have an Apple watch, you know? So, um, I sent the phone back. I returned it. All well and good, right? Well, about a week later, I'm missing having a flip phone. The only thing I could remember 
was that I loved that flip phone. And I did like the phone. I loved it. But it wouldn't work for me because of the app, the Apple ecosystem. And so guess what? <laughs> I find out I can get another Flip 5 for half off. So I order it again and wait for it to be shipped to me. And as soon as that phone hit my hand, I remembered why I returned the first one. Up until that moment, I could not recall the frustration that I had with the first phone and not being able to access my Apple services and things like that. But as soon as the phone hit my hand, those memories snapped back. They came back and I remembered I can't use this phone. So the second phone went back. Again, <laughs> um, but if we take this a little bit deeper, it could explain the impulsivity that we have when it comes to um, setting goals and maintaining goals. We have to remind ourselves of the feeling and determination and the desire that we want to wait like in my case, I want to wait for what I want rather than have something I don't want now. So being able to access those memories allows other people to set goals. But since borderlines deal with issues around object permanence, we have trouble recalling the reasons and feelings around a goal that we set. Making it easier for us to trump our goals or override the goal that we set. See, early on in my BPD recovery, I thought that BPD was a maturity issue. That, um, and because of some of the information that's included in DBT, that reinforced that concept. That BPD was a lack of maturity. Because if you think about it, you know, I bought a phone, the same phone, within two, three weeks of each other and returned them both. So it does seem a little immature, but it's not a maturity issue. It's a memorance. It's being able to recall the memories and emotions in an appropriate time when we need it in the moment, there's a deficit 
when it comes to borderline personality disorder. We have problems accessing the memories in an appropriate time for them to be useful in that moment. See, when I was ordering the second phone, I I should have been able to access the memory that I cannot use this phone. This phone will not work for me. I was unable to access that memory. And let's talk about core values. Usually before I make a major purchase, I check it against my core values. Is it going to be something that takes me outside of my core values? And I'll just explain a little bit. Like if I love myself, I'm not going to put myself into a huge amount of debt. If I want peace, I'm not going to put myself into a huge amount of debt. So I didn't check the purchase against my core values. That was another mistake I meant I made. Um, so do you kind of see how these things fit together? So are you ready for my last point on object permanence? This is the most important point I want to make when it comes to object permanence, because I think it damages us the most. And that's how object permanent plays out in our relationships. I'm going to break down my relationships with you. So maybe you understand. Okay. Um, the first relationship I've ever had, the first guy I ever fell in love with, Keith. <laughs> Guess what? Keith had a girlfriend the whole time we were together. He ended up marrying her and was married to her for 10 years before he came out. I almost lived with him and his parents, but I was still second. I still allowed myself in that situation. Next was Caleb. Caleb was the first person I ever lived with. Caleb cheated on me the night I moved in. His friend was our roommate, told me later that, you know, Caleb had people up the first night that we that we lived together. We broke up probably about seven times. Caleb would push and pull me. He would push me away and then pull me back when he wanted me. He pushed my boundaries sexually. I woke up one night with Caleb having two guys in our house and they were getting ready to have sex. Caleb would allow me to pay bills and then would kick me out. Caleb and I's relationship ended when he finally put me out on Christmas Eve. My mom had to come and pick me up. I remember standing on the corner of the street waiting for my mom to come pick me up. Then there was George. George was a turning point in my life. And I thought about how I was going to explain our relationship and um, Yeah, I love George. I love George a lot. 
Um, gosh. George and I met when we were about 10 years apart. He was younger than I was. He cheated on me. I know he did. To this day, he'll still say he didn't. But he did. Um, and I was kind of okay with that. He was 21. I was 31. It was something that was, that just was. What George did to me was something bigger, was something that changed my life forever, something that I felt made me dirty. And it kind of did. George slept with me for six months. He slept with me for unprotected and didn't tell me he had HIV. This devastated me. The thing is, I stayed. I stayed for about another four months after I found out George had been sleeping with me without telling me that he was HIV positive. Wow. It still gets me to this day that I went back. And even so, when George and I's relationship ended, I wanted him back. I couldn't remember. Object permanence was playing a part that allowed me to forget the trauma associated with what happened. And that trauma was to admit to myself that George purposely gave me HIV. Well, it's taken out 17 years for me to be able to say that phrase. He did. George purposely gave me HIV. I found pills in the book, in a book bag that he had. And had he been taking them, I would not have had HIV. So yeah, object permanence can really fuck things up. I went through these examples um, because I wanted you to see the pattern. The pattern of abuse and re-abuse and abuse and re-abuse and abuse and re-abuse. Because of object permanence, we can't hang on to the, the trauma that for our, and I almost said normal person, I'll never say normal. There is not a definition for what normal is. Um, let's say average person. The average person would have one event happen and most likely exit the relationship. But because of object permanence, we can't hang on to the fact that we have been hurt. And so we have a tendency of going right back to our abusers. All right, I bet you'll be glad to hear that we are done with the, top, the topic of object permanence.
Um, we'll, we will address it again. We'll talk about it. It's a piece that fits into um, borderline personality disorder that creates a cycle that we go through. But it's only a piece. So we'll go through the other pieces. Um, when I'm leaving you today, I want to introduce you to a little bit of um, DBT and the skills taught in DBT. Um, the tip skill. The tip skill is when you're working in emotional mind, when you're stuck in emotional mind, and sometimes when you're triggered in an emotional mind, that's what I would call a BPD moment. The tip skill is used to trick your brain into a different state. So let's go through the tip skill. I'm going to include the PDF, and I'm just going to do the first page. Tip is an acronym. The first letter, T, tip the temperature. Put your face in cold water. I know this sounds crazy, but I have done this, and it does work. Um, when you put your face in cold water or put your body or expose it to cold water, your body thinks that it's grounding. So it has a tendency of pulling your heart rate down and pulling down the adrenaline that's pumping through your system. So it can trick your brain into a different state. The next one is I for intense exercise. Engage in intense exercise if only for a short while. The extreme exercise is meant to expend your excess energy. The theory behind that is then the, the brain will slow down and change the state that it's in. Next one is P for pace breathing, impaired muscle relaxation. Pace breathing is being aware of your breathing. Slowly breathing in and slowly exhaling. Using five seconds to inhale and seven seconds to exhale. This will slow your adrenaline down. Paired muscle relaxation. While breathing into your belly, tense your muscles. Hold the muscle tense for as long as you can and then release. Notice the tension in your body. While breathing, say the word relax in your mind. Then let go. So tip. Tip the temperature. Put your face in cold water. Hold ice. Another thing that you can try with this one is extreme taste. Sour or extreme peppermint, extreme spearmint. A gross taste. Um, experiment. Intense exercise for I. Pace breathing impaired muscle relaxation for P. This is meant for when you're in emotional mind and need to pull yourself into wise mind. The goal of this, of this skill is to be able to pull yourself back into wise mind. I thank you for joining me this week. 
and hope you come back next week. Thank you very much. Now, can we get that music back? Break the chains of your heart. You gotta fly like a bird. Set your mind free. Set your heart free. Set yourself free like a bird.